0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we take a break from Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and our text this morning is actually one short verse, verse 9. But we will begin reading in verse 1. We want to put our verse in context as we go to the Word of God this morning. the second epistle of corinthians beginning in chapter 8 verse 1 paul writes as he is superintended and moved by the holy spirit now brethren we wish you to make we wish to make known to you the grace of god which has been given in the churches of macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also." I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word. Join with me in prayer this morning before we go into the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the Word, your word. We thank you that you have given it to us that we might know who you are, that you have revealed yourself, you have put it in human language and in our language that we might understand it. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit again who teaches us. And so again this morning we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, illuminate the truths of your word and use them in our hearts as you see fit, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we come to Christmas time and we often get maybe a bad taste in our mouth because we see all of the materialism that takes place. We see people buying gifts, giving gifts, and there's all of this caught up in materialism and we start to think and we say, well, I wonder where all this gift giving started. And you might think, well, you know what? I think it might be the Magi, right? They came, they gave gifts to Christ, even though that was a little bit later than his birth. But maybe that's where they got the idea from. But we often forget that actually in the incarnation, in the fact that Christ became flesh, and the fact that Christ was born in a stable, that that was actually a gift of giving. It was God giving to man. God was giving His Son so that He might redeem some for Himself. Now we get that. In, we get that. If we're a believer here today, we get the fact that actually that we recognize that God was coming to save. And that He has, if it wasn't for His incarnation, we wouldn't be able to have salvation. But maybe one thing that we've never considered about Christmas time is that Christmas in itself is an act of giving which should inspire us to give to fellow believers, to sacrificially give for their physical and spiritual needs. Have you ever come to Christmas and said, Hmm, Christ gave, I need to give? And really, we can redeem Christmas from materialism by what? Doing what Christ did in, in, in kind by giving to our fellow believers, whether that be physically or spiritually, to support them. And in fact, as Paul writes this verse for our text this morning, he is doing it in exactly that context. He is saying to the the Corinthians, I want you to give, and I want you to give earnestly, and I want you to give out of love, and I want you to give joyfully and generously to other believers because of what Christ has done for you. Now, if we were to look at the context here, Paul is making a collection for the church at Jerusalem. He is going to the Gentile churches, and he is getting money for them to bring back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, we know that the church is poor, and, and it was very poor, and, we, and we, you ask, why is it so poor? Well, first of all, when around this time, many pilgrims had come to the Passover and stayed in Jerusalem, and so as the church was born on, at, at Pentecost, there was many pilgrims there, and they simply stayed in Jerusalem, enjoying the spiritual fellowship. But also there was those who came to salvation, and the Jews who came and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ were ostracized by the Jews themselves. And often they were kicked out of their families, they were kicked out of their jobs, and they became poor. And so they had been sharing their wealth, but ultimately we know you, once you sold something, you can't sell it again unless you steal it, right? And so they, they had become quite poor. And so Paul is now saying, they gave to us spiritually, we need to give to them physically and take care of their needs. And so Paul holds up the Macedonian church, the, the churches of Macedonia, as an example of giving. And he says, we, we know that there were three churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And all of these congregations were giving and contributing to the church in Jerusalem. Now you'll notice in verse 1, he says that they are giving and it is initiated by the grace of God. The transcendent grace of God had gripped them and now they were giving out of what? Grace. God's grace was extended to them, and that, even though they had great affliction, even though they were in deep poverty, they still gave. In fact, it says they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave to others. And actually, more than that, they actually begged to, to help. They, wanted to be, they begged that they could participate in the giving to the saints. And so Paul holds up this, congregations, these congregations to them, and says, "Listen, this should stimulate you to give to others. This should stimulate you to give to fellow believers. Look what the other churches are doing as the grace of God is working in their lives." And then he says, in verse six, actually, and he reminds them that he, there, he had already called them to give and that they had already started to give. in fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul had already called on them on the first day of the week to put aside and to save as he may prosper so that no collections need to be made when I come. And so Paul says, I want you to start putting money aside to give to the Jerusalem church. Do it weekly. Do it regularly. Get this money to be given to the other churches." But as Paul st- wants to stimulate them to giving, he continues on and he now gives to them the greatest example that he can give to them. He says, I want you to give because Christ gave to you. Here's the greatest example of giving. Here's the greatest gift. Here's the supreme gift. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that through His poverty might become rich. Jesus wanted to make us rich. And in order to make Himself rich, He had to become poor. That's generous. That's magnanimous. That's, rich people don't do that. Rich people give out of their wealth, but Jesus gave everything up. Not everything, but he gave, became poor in order to come. He didn't just give without sacrifice. He gave till he became poor. And so Paul wants to stimulate them. And you will see that in Christ's incarnation, as he came, as he came as in human flesh, as he came as a baby, as he was that baby in the manger, He came with a purpose, and we can't leave that baby in the manger, but He grew up. He lived a life. And He came to save. And so He says in verse 9, He begins, He says, For you know. So this word for links with the context. In the, in the context of giving, for you know. You know by experience. This is something that you already know. I don't need to command you to give because you know what Christ gave. You already know by experience because you've experienced the grace of God in your life. I'm speaking to you, believer. I'm speaking to you, church at Corinth. You recognize what God has given to you, the salvation that has been given to you. And so Paul says, because of what Christ has done, the fact that He came in the incarnation, the fact that He was willing to sacrifice, should motivate you to give to God's people. You're not ignorant of You can't be, because if you're a believer, you know what Christ did for you. We all know that He was rich. We all know that He became poor in order to be, that we might become rich. That's not beyond Their knowledge is not beyond our knowledge. So Paul says, this should be the single greatest motivation for you. Not just the Macedonian model, not just because you gave before, but because what Christ has done for you. So Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he identifies Christ by the grace that he extended. And he will now give us details in the rest of the verse. And he says, I want you to give, not not a percentage, not a tithe, not a single amount of money, but I want you to give, and I want you to give simply because of what Christ gave to you. Now you'll notice this. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know by experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses that full name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that title that really entitles his whole person and his perfect work. And he says, he is Lord. He was given the name fully because he had accomplished the work that was given to him. A name above every name, Philippians 2.9 says. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. What name is that? Lord. Jesus will be Lord and he will now rule all. He was Jesus because he came to save his people from his sins, Matthew one twenty one. He is the Christ. He is the anointed Messiah. He was the promised one to come. He is the King. He is the one who will ultimately come as that anointed Messiah to save. And so Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this by experience. You know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And now he explains that grace, and he really breaks it down. And we, could, we can see the truths that he say, he's talking about in this verse under three headings. His riches, first of all, he became rich. His poverty, and then his gift. His riches, his poverty, his gift. And so Paul says that though he was rich, yet you forsake, he became poor. Though he was rich. The word "rich" generally is a word that is used for a large amount of something that's valuable, usually material things. So, what riches did Jesus have? What riches did Jesus have before he came poor? Well, we know that Jesus created everything, so we know he was pre-existent. Colossians says, "For all things were made." were created both in heavens and earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and what? For him. So he is the creator. John 1, 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, he is the creator. He was preexistence to the world. Hebrews 1.2 In the last days He has spoken to us in His Son whom He appointed heir of all things through whom also He made what? The world. So Christ created all things. Therefore, because He created all things, He is the heir of all things. Therefore, He owns everything on heaven and earth. The psalmist says, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and all who dwell on it. 1 Corinthians 10.26 repeats the same idea. For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. As he quotes the Old Testament. Jesus, God as he was speaking to Israel says, For all the earth is what? Mine. So Christ created the earth. He owns it. He has all of it because he created it. But when Paul says he's rich, he's not saying that his riches consist primarily of what is material. Even though that's true, even though he's the heir of the universe, even though he owns it all and he owns everything on the earth, he's not speaking about physical things. He's speaking about the riches that are in view here are those of Christ's supernatural glory, his position as God the Son, and his eternal attributes. As a second person of the Trinity, Christ is as rich as God is rich. He possesses all power, authority, sovereignty, glory, and majesty. All of those are Christ's. His riches are described in that state of his pre-existence in John seventeen five. The glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Jesus contained everything that was God. He he had perfect, he had all the perfections of God. He had omniscience. He was all powerful. He was perfectly loving, perfectly just. He had perfectly holy. All of those were his, perfectly loving. And Christ also existed within the Trinity in perfect fellowship, love, adoration, and harmony. There was, he had everything, right? Scripture says that man, what is man that God would need anything from him? God doesn't need anything. God, Christ had all the glories of the eternal God. He needed nothing. The eternality of Christ, Jesus Christ, is the most crucial truth of all Christology, and therefore the most uh, critical truth of the gospel. If he was not eternal, he must have a beginning, and therefore he would have to be what created. The eternality of Christ offers clear and powerful and irrefutable proof of his deity, for it is an attribute only God possesses. Despite the claims of heretics throughout history and Bible teachers, Jesus Christ is not merely pre-existent human history. Like he didn't just exist before human history, but he was eternal. He depends on nothing outside of himself for existence, nor was there a time when the second person of the Trinity came into being. He's not, as some would teach an emanation, a demagogue. He's not Michael the archangel. A spirit created by God or an exalted man, he is the creator, not the creature. That's why in Micah 5.2, as he speaks of his birthplace and predicting where Christ would come, he says, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. For one will come from forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are like from long ago From the days of eternity, Christ did not come into existence at any time, even before the earth was created. Isaiah 9.6, and we, we looked at this, describes Jesus as the eternal father of his people. John begins his gospel, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There was never a time that Jesus was not with God. There was never a time that he was not God. Jesus declared his eternal existence to the unbelieving Jews. Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. If he was just saying that he pre-existed the world, he would have said, I was. But he says, I am. The eternal present, always existing, never not. And so Jesus prayed, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the foundation of the world, before the world was. I want that glory. I want to be as rich as God the Father. I want to be back to my rightful place. That's why Paul said, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. He's a radiance of the glory, the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1.3. And so the arguments for Christ's eternity, and deity are inseparable since the scriptures reveal him to be eternal and the only God, only God can be eternal. Jesus must be God. And so all the divine titles are given to Christ and he is is fully God. He is Jehovah, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, All the divine attributes are described to him. He declares omnipresent, omniscient, almighty, immutable. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He is set forth as the creator and upholder and ruler of the universe. As one writer said, all things were created by him and for him, and by him all things consist. He is the object of worship to all intelligent creatures, even the highest, all angels are commanded to prostrate themselves before him. He is the object of religious sentiments of reverence, love, faith, and devotion. To him, men and angels are responsible for their character and conduct. He he required that all men should honor him as they honored the Father, that they should exercise the same faith in him as they do in God. He declares that he and the Father are one, that those who have seen him have seen the Father, He calls all men unto him, promised to forgive sins, to send them the Holy Spirit, to give them rest and peace, to raise them up at the last day and to give them eternal life. God is not more and cannot promise more and do more than Christ is said to be, to promise and to do. He has therefore been the Christian God from the beginning in all ages, in all places. And so Jesus Christ was God. He had the full riches of being the only true God. He had everything that God is, he was. And he had that before he came to earth. He had all the riches of the Godhead. He had all the riches of his character and divine attributes. Christ was rich. He was God. Though he was rich, God did not take Christ did not exploit his status for his own ava- advantage. Instead, he relinquished that status to serve others. He says in the next phrase, Yet for your sake, he became poor. Jesus possessed all the riches of God from eternity, yet for believers' sake, he became poor. The word poor means to be a beggar, to be destitute. It Me- means to be helpless, really to be dependent upon others. is really often used of a prospect of, of someone, a poor beggar, or, or one who had no prospect or of, of a future. And it says, Christ became poor. Now, because of, the, of, the, of the, the, the dictionary meaning of this word, some have understood the statement as a reference to Christ's financial poverty during his life. They've said what it means is that Christ came to earth and he became objectively poor. He became a beggar. Augustine challenges readers to imitate Christ's virtues, including poverty, citing this verse as proof of Christ's poverty. In other words, being poor is a virtue, Augustine said. some have said, well Christ actually dignified being poor. he said it, it's good to be poor he, he, he's made it honorable because it's not shameful. Calvin writes, we see that what destitution as to, and As to all things awaited him immediately on his coming from his mother's womb. We hear what he says to himself. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. Hence he consecrated poverty in his own person that believers may no longer regard it with horror. And so they say, see Christ came here and he dignified being poor. We no longer see poverty as as being a whore. We don't. We don't. We're not materialistic. Well, we would say this: poverty comes from the hand of God. If you don't give it a hand by not working, right? And we can't control our economic status and where where we're born. But Paul's point here is not materialistic. In fact, if we were to look at Christ's life and, and his life here on earth, he's not, he was not an abject beggar. As far as, as one writer says, as, as far as Christ's experience is concerned, it's true that Luke highlights the lowly circumstances of his birth. But this is not an indication of the poverty of the Holy Family, but rather the overcrowded conditions in Bethlehem at the time of the census. So we would recognize did they have money to go to the inn? Yes. What was their problem? No room, right? Jesus was known as the carpenter's son, the, the son of Mary. And as a craftsman, he would not have been numbered among the abject poor. In other words, he, w- he, w- he had a trade. He, had, he worked. He would have made money. During his Galilean ministry, he he did remind a would-be disciple that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. However, this must not be taken to mean that the itinerant preacher Jesus was continually in dire economic circumstances. Now, we, we recognize he didn't own a home, but the indications are that the cost of Jesus' itinerant ministry and the support of his followers were provided by a number of well-off sympathizers who had been the recipients of his healing ministry. In other words, he was, he was supported. In addition, it was the custom among the Jews to provide hospitality for traveling preachers, and Jesus enjoyed such hospitality at a number of homes, especially the, of that of Mary and Martha. And so we would, we would look at Jesus and we would say he's got, he's got clothing, he's got shoes, he's been, that he is not an abject beggar. On this evidence, then, Jesus was no poorer than most first century Palestine, Palestinian Jews and better off than some. Jesus was not going around begging. He didn't have his hand out. Instead, Jesus and his band of disciples had sufficient money to be able to provide help for those worse off than themselves. Remember when Mary took the pound of costly perfume and put it on Jesus' feet? What did Judas say? Well, we should have sold that and given it to the poor, right? Why did, why did he say that? Because he was pilfering the purse of money that the disciples had. They had money, right? They had money, and that's the point. He wanted that money to go into the purse because that was more for him to pilfer. So they weren't, they weren't completely poor. They had money. So Jesus, when he says that he became poor here, is not, when Paul says that Jesus became poor, he's not speaking of physical poverty. He's speaking here of spiritual poverty in a spiritual sense. In the same way that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.10 uh, of himself as poor making many rich. Right? Paul wasn't a beggar either. He he had a job. He was a tent, right? He a tent maker. He could have taken money, but he didn't. And so the idea here is that he became poor. He became poor. How did he become poor? He became poor in the incarnation. He became poor in the incarnation. When he was what? Born of a woman. Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, Jesus Christ came into the world and he, first of all, was born of a woman, which means he was born human, which he he did not have before. And he was born in a stable. He was born into a lowly family without fanfare. In fact, we talked about his birth. There was nothing kingly about his birth at all. It was one of the most common births of all time. He was born in a stable. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, for the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, Christ came, and he became flesh. He became as human as you and I. Everything that it was to be human, he became. He was a descendant according to David, according to the flesh, Romans 1.3 tells us. He was made lower than the angels. Hebrews 2.12 You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and appointed him over the works of your hands. In verse 9 But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels namely Jesus because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He left Heaven's glory. He left the glory that was given to him. And we, we we see this description in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And this is really the, the, the great theological description of the incarnation. This is what Jesus did as he came and was born in in the stable, born as a child, coming into earth. It says, "Have this attitude, which was also in you, which is in Christ Jesus." And we continually see that we get these theological uh, sections dropped in here—not just anywhere, but they are dropped in as Paul is teaching. And here he's teaching about humility in, in Acts in Second Corinthians. He's teaching about giving. And he drops these theological gems in the middle. He says, who, although he existed in the form of God, we talked about that. He was God, everything about him. He was the exact res- representation of God. Did not ra- require equality with God, a thing of, to be grasped. In other words, he was God, but to stay, to stay uh, he didn't grasp onto that. But he emptied himself. Well, how did he empty himself? How did Christ empty himself? How did he become poor? Well, he didn't lose anything. He did it by what? Taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. In other words, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, now took on the form of a bondservant in other words he became a servant he didn't just look like one he became one he came to do the will of the father he came to, to give his life as a ransom for many he came to serve the lost by saving them he came to serve the father by living in obedience and jesus christ became a servant he who was once independent god now took on human flesh and in his humanity he became a bond servant It says, and being made in the likeness of men. In other words, he became exactly what it was to be human in every single way. In every single way that was necessary to be human. Now, he wasn't born with a fallen nature. But everything about him was what God said was in the likeness of men sufficient to be a, a sacrifice for men. And so he took on human suffering and human weakness and limitations. And now for the first time, he in his humanity felt hunger. For the first time, he began to thirst. He now asked the Samaritan woman, give me a drink. He was tired. He felt the tiredness of of being human. He slept in the stern of the boat during the storm in addition he was in t- it says in hebrews 4 15 he was tempted in all things yet without sin now that doesn't mean that he faced every single temptation that's ever been but he faced every category of temptation right jesus was not tempted to go on the internet no internet yet he knew what was coming Right? But there was not that temptation in his humanity. But he was tempted in every area. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Right? So completely did he identify with people that they had no idea who he was. He's being found in the appearance of a man. In other words, he looked so much like a person that people just assumed he was. Is that not the carpenter's son? Is that not, right? Is that not the son of Mary? We really don't think he had a father, right? Right? So here, here he just looks like ordinary human being. In fact, if he didn't tell them who he was, they wouldn't have recognized him. So Christ came. He came in the flesh. He came as a baby, born in a stable, taking on humanity. He was one that now what grew in favor with God and man. He became obedient. This was our Lord Jesus Christ, living a perfect life here on earth. Ephesians 4 gives us another view of Christ impoverishing himself in the incarnation. He says, therefore, when he ascended on high, he led captives, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also what? Descended into the lower parts of the earth. In other words, Christ came, lived a life here on earth, and then he died on the cross and he was buried in the grave. He also descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And so again, it describes Christ coming to earth, coming down, taking on humanity, even to death. As Philippians says, he submitted, he learned obedience, and then he what? Became obedient even to what? The death on the cross. He was willing to die as a criminal, a shameful death in order to save. That's how poor he came. He didn't just become human. He became the lowliest of humans in humanity's eyes. And so Christ's triumph at Calvary and and his resurrection could only come after he had first, what? Descended until he had first come to earth and died. And so Paul says, why should we give to others? Because Christ in his giving, he gave the Lord Jesus Christ through his grace that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. He became poor even to the death on the cross, and he died on the cross to pay the price for sin. And he chose the poverty of human existence that through his poverty he could impart eternal riches of redemption to all who would believe. Now some people would say, but would use this verse and say, you see, when Christ died, he died on the cross and he died to make you what? Rich, right? He died here. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might what? Become rich. There it is. God wants you rich. He wants you wealthy. That's, that's what he promises. So brothers and sisters, you need to have faith. You need, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants you to be rich. That's what he's doing here, right? Well, it, if Paul is actually saying that, Paul is, is saying to them, here's what God has for you, but guess what? I don't have it yet. I don't have it yet, right? Paul, Paul, Paul wasn't rich. Paul, Paul was working, right, as a tent maker, He worked day and night. Does that sound like someone who's rich? So he would be saying to the Corinthians, actually, God's giving you something that me, the apostle, the apostle of God, the one that should be blessed, the one that certainly God is using, and I'm writing scripture, but he doesn't want me rich. That would be a little bit ironic, wouldn't it? Well, what, what about Paul when he told them in Philippians 4:11 and 12 that he had become learned to be content in every situation even being hungry that doesn't sound like a rich man right in 1 Corinthians 4:11 Paul informed these same individuals that he was hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and homeless Paul you need a little bit more faith don't you think Maybe Paul's not saved, right? Because he's not rich. Uh Uh-oh, then he exhorts the Corinthian believers to be imitators of his life and teaching. Uh Uh-oh. So nothing about the context and nothing about what he's saying here indicates material wealth. He's not speaking of material wealth, but spiritual wealth, to be spiritually rich. Rich with the same riches that he possesses. The same richness that Jesus Christ possesses. Wow. Rich in salvation. Rich in forgiveness. Joy, peace, life, glory. Rich in honor. Rich in majesty. We are so rich that we are called what? Joint heirs with Christ. We are promised an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades away, laid up for us in heaven. We are rich as he is rich. And we were really poor. In fact, our poverty indicates that we were, if we were truly poor, that we, we must recognize that we had become beggars. That's where we were at. We had nothing to offer. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who are what? Beggars, spiritual beggars who come to God with nothing. That's why we're called to be like children. Coming, bringing nothing to the relationship, just coming to to receive. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him, every way conceivable, even material, whatever material things you have and all the immaterial joys and glories will be ours. He says in 1 Corinthians three twenty-two: for all things are yours. All are yours in the world or life or death the present and the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. We've been made joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will receive everything that he receives. We will reign with him in the future. We will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will sit on his throne. Romans 8, 7 says, if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we will suffer with Him, so that we also what will be what? glorified with him. We will be glorified with Christ. We will reign with Christ. We will inherit with Christ. It's crazy. And he says, this is what Christ purchased when he came. That baby that was born in the crib, that baby that was born in the stable grew up. And he is the King of King and Lord of Lords. And we will now be inheritors with him. Second Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. We are rich in position, we are rich in privilege, and we are rich in relationship. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. We have all the spiritual blessings that uh, that are ours in Jesus Christ that come from Him. We have all of those blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Nothing that we need for life and godliness Is missing. Now it's interesting. When we think of Christmas and we think of Christ coming and we think of his death on the cross, we often think of salvation. And we kind of stop there. We go, Jesus died, came to earth. He had to be fully human to die for humanity, fully God in order to to pay the price of sin for more than one person. It had to be a perfect sacrifice, it had to be sufficient. And we think, Christmas time. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in His finished work on the cross. That He died for sin. That He is the Lord of Lord, King of kings. That you must trust Him for your eternity. You must recognize that He's coming back. That He was raised on the third day. But we often often then go from there to heaven. We kind of skip that step. And Paul says, actually, there's massive implication, believer, on how you live because of what Jesus Christ did. The fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, the fact that he came and died on the cross, and that that baby grew up to be a perfect man has implications on how you live your life right now. It's not just that we have spiritual blessings for the future, but that we have spiritual blessings now. And it's not just the hope of the future, but it is, he promises you to give his peace, to give you his love, that you now are to what? Act like Christ. And that he gives you the ability to do that. And a part of that, Paul says, is what? Is that he gives you the responsibility and actually the joy, and it should be the spontaneous joy of what giving? Just as Christ gave for you, he says, now you need to what? Give for your what? Brothers and sisters. And how often do we come to Christmas and we want to we hop either to salvation or to heaven, but we forget in between we've got to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's implications from Christmas all year round. And Paul says, look what Jesus Christ did. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He came to earth. He became fully man. He was born as a baby. He grew up so that through his poverty, for the fact that he, what he left heaven and what he received here on earth, you might become rich. And now Paul says, go give. Go give. Christmas is about giving. It's about God giving his son. And as a result for those who have received his son, he says, now you, you in in likeness, go give to others. And so this Christmas season, recognize that God, if you're a believer here today, he has given you gifts. He has given you blessings. In God's economy, he gives you enough to survive a roof over your head he gives you food in your stomach and clothes on your back and then he says what? I give you a little extra to give. He says, I've given you spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. And he says, I want you to give with the generosity, not of the Macedonians, not of the Corinthians, but I want you to give to God's people like the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life and sacrificed to save his people. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we look at this time around Christmas as and as we are again reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. And as Paul reminds us that he left the riches of glory in heaven to become poor, he took on humanity. So through his poverty, we might become rich. And I pray this morning that we would allow that truth to sink into us and that we would worship our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would respond in kind in obedience to him and that we would give to other believers as Christ has given to us to the praise of your glory and your grace, I pray in your name. Amen.